Hey everybody, welcome back to the Overrun Podcast. My name is Ed Bowder. I'm Dan Schwester. And Dan and I are going dolo today, just the two of us. Just the, the two, two of us. Yeah, okay. We're also going to harmonize the entire that. time. Everyone wants to hear us. No one wants to hear that. Today we're going to talk about ketamine. Um, this has kind of been back in the news because of a couple incidents that we've seen in Minneapolis and Colorado. Um and we thought it was kind of important to discuss the actual use of the drug. The data has been out for quite some time, and yet for some reason there still seems to be a debate as to whether or not ketamine is a good or effective drug. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, I thought I thought this debate had been pretty closed, but then uh, you know we started randomly <laughs> medicating <laughs> people in the street. And well, and that's like just just to say like that it's a debate is misleading. It's not like it's not a debate. The science is out. We know that ketamine works as an effective drug. And just like any other drug, it's going. To, there is a safety profile that you have to worry about. There are side effects of administering the medication you have to be concerned about, and it has to be given to the right people in the right setting by the right people. Wait, Ed, I was told in the FOMED world that ketamine is a magic potion magic. given to us by God magic. that that solves all of our problems magically without the use of any other common sense. Well, I, so, and that's kind of the other thing, right, is that you hear, and don't get me wrong, I, we've had conversations, actually, um, where you know we're getting to the point where there's almost an argument to give ketamine more often than to not give it because we're finding that there's so many things that ketamine actually does. And that's where that whole kind of idea that it was a magic drug came across. But the reality exists is that there's a lot of uses for it. And pre-hospitally, there's really good uses for it, right? And it's, it's a drug that I, as a provider, really like to give um, before we had the option to give it. You know, you don't know what you got if you don't have it. Right. Um, and I vividly remember actually getting ketamine on the truck and being able to use it and seeing the effects on the patients. It was like, this is terrific. Right. This is this is great. And just like as a base, we're going to get kind of deep into the, how the actual drug works. But just to have a medication that has concurrent pain relief effects and sedation effects is not a common thing. And it's also something that, in, you know, in the setting of RSI or things like that, people will give fentanyl for pain management, but you haven't sedated the patient. So you've got a patient who has a tube in their throat who hurts because intubation is a painful procedure but you know they're still wide awake for it yeah i mean don't get it wrong we we listen at the overrun we love ketamine um it's probably one of our go-tos in our box i know i use it for a variety of things uh i think all of us have used it fairly well but uh, I know there's a really high Dunning-Kruger effect with this med. Absolutely. Um, there's people who, you know, listen to a podcast like ours or somebody <laughs> else's that's, you know, probably more educated. And you think you know everything. Um, that's not true. It doesn't exist that way. Right. Well, um, and, and just for the record, I mean, you know, there's biochemists and, you know, pharmaceutical researchers who don't exactly know how ketamine works. They yeah. Have, we, we have a pretty good idea on how it works, and we're going we're gonna to kind of deep dive into it. But... You know, to say, like, this is exactly how the drug works. We don't really have that knowledge just yet. Right. So we want to talk about is is it, you know, is this FOMED star a little bit overblown? Are we using it correctly? Um, if you're not using it, give you some ideas so that you can go back to your your agencies and talk about bringing it on. Um, and what, what you shouldn't be doing with this. So we're going to go through that and we're going to talk some of the stuff that you might have seen in the news. So. Let's go to pharmacology. Let's let's talk about ketamine. What exactly is it and what does it do? So ketamine is a medication that's been around for, I mean, just forever. Um, it's It was synthesized over a half century ago. Um, and the big things that we see that, you know, that it's known for is for its hypnotic effects. It was actually a derivative of, of, of phencycline or PCP. PCP. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and it, you know, the the bad name that ketamine got was because it was used as a street drug, um, specifically, you know, the eighties and nineties. Um, and just like anything else, you know, fentanyl is now used as a street drug. It doesn't have the same stigma as ketamine does, but you know, and we're not trying to, I don't want to sound like we're trying to whore for ketamine here. You know, I'm not, we're not, we're not getting paid by, uh, you know, the generic ketamine manufacturers. Yeah. No, I don't think anybody's getting paid. No, but, uh, you know, we do know that it actually has blockade of the NMDA receptors, the HN1 receptors, and that's a little bit too biochemical for uh, a medic podcast. But the whole point of it is that it can cause all the different analgesic and sedative effects that you might have. What's interesting is that people probably know about NMDA receptor agonists without really knowing about it because dextromethorphan is also one of them. So if you've taken, you know, Sudafed, cough syrup, cough yeah. syrup um, that, that's also there, which is part of the reason that's how robotripping started. Yeah, DXM. DXM abuse people, you know, purple drank and all that. Purple drank. Yeah, it's a thing. You know, I mean, people, you know, looking to get high. It will, you know, if enough of those receptors get stimulated, you will get a euphoria. You will get kind of a, a an altered state, so to speak. Yeah. Um, just I mean, like we're PCP. not we're not encouraging. Like, don't do like the juice isn't worth the squeeze to Robo Trip. Like, no, no. Not, take, I mean, you have to drink like a ridiculous taking, amount. It's, eating an entire box of quercetin is just a little bit too much and feels labor intensive to me. So, <laughs> so whatever. So, so this drug came out, um, as I said, a little over 50 years ago. We know it's a, it causes dissociative anesthesia, which is the point. But we also have hypnosis. We have really good analgesia. Um, one thing that we have to watch, there is some reflex sympathetic activity, um, which can be good or bad. And I'll get back to that in a second. And then it also, one of the good things about the drug is that it also maintains airway tone and respiration. So those are four kind of big things that we need to get into. And this is where Dunning-Kruger gets This in. is where Dunning-Kruger comes in. So the hypnosis thing is also kind of the point of giving the medication, right? The hypnosis and the sedation and also the analgesia. This is what we want to do. Specifically, you'll hear a lot of talk about giving ketamine for excited delirium, and that's fine. But we're, we'll get into how that's actually a complaint. It's actually a syndrome. And there's a difference between excited delirium and an angry person who's been drinking too much. Um, but the whole point of it is if you have someone who does have excited delirium or is, you know, has a, and th- this works well for closed head traumas, too. You have someone with a closed head, they're kind of wiling out, swinging around. You can knock them down and reduce their pain as well, which is really important if you have to maintain their airway with an ET tube because you have kind of a two-pronged effect. Before yeah, we started that's... using ketamine for that, you know, we had to give a sedative and usually it was a Tomidate. And then you also have to give a pain management medication, sure. which, you know, now it's usually fentanyl. And that's one of the unique things that ketamine does for us in the field that other drugs don't do. Um, it has multiple effects. It has a sedative effect. So, you know, where a benzodiazepine doesn't give you pain relief, but it does kind of calm the brain, so to speak, ketamine will do that too. It also has an analgesic effect that if someone's in pain, ketamine will relieve that pain. It's amnesic, just like a midazolam, yep. where if we give it to somebody, uh, they really generally don't remember things. Um, it can also cause hallucinations, some right. other things, just like any other psychotropic medication. Well, and the other thing that I think is important to clarify is that, you know, generally speaking in the field, when we're giving medicine for pain, we're giving an opiate medication. Yeah. Because of all the things that have been going on with opiate medications, ketamine is also a decent alternative because it's not an opiate. And it, it now it does have, there are some dependency worries you may have, but they're fairly low. Um, and they don't have the same effect that you would see with opiates. So, you know, if you're worried about giving, if you have a patient who has a history of opiate addiction, 
ketamine is a very good drug for them because it's not an opiate medication. Yeah, so no, it, it is, have, and it's a good it's a good alternative for going reflexively reaching for that that opioid. Yeah. Um, the nice thing about that I like about ketamine is it has an extremely wide safety profile, and this has been pretty much held out in the literature. Um, I know that there's one case report out there uh, where they overdosed a kid like a hundredfold overdose of ketamine, the kids slept for 24 hours and went home with no sequela. Yep. There's no other drug out there you can and do was that very well rest, was very well rested. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, the There's no other drug out there that's doing that. Right. Um, so, you know, it is a very good pre-hospital medication. Uh, the other cool thing that I like about it, the thing that's very interesting and that people have to understand is it's a the effect you get is a dose-dependent effect. Um if we get into, um, you know, if you give it at a very low dose, it's a very, very good analgesic, um, you know, for your broken bones, your, your maybe your kidney stones, maybe something, you know, a really bad, um, severe pain, moderate to severe pain at a very low dose. Ketamine will do a very good job of eliminating that pain for your patient. Well, and, that, and that's not even discussing microdosing. So there's also there's microdosing that's available. Um, through certain providers for people that are experiencing like chronic depression, that's refractory to treatment, um, PTSD, anxiety, and things like that. Yeah, that's something that's really outside of our scope, but that's another thing. Um, There was a military study that showed, and this is where they kind of just happened on this. Um, The military has done a lot of studies with this. They've they've looked at ketamine. They use it as a frontline med all the time now in the field. Um, One of the things that they noticed when they looked back is when they looked at patients who were treated with ketamine and they followed them through the system and, and after discharge from the, the, uh, from the military, they found that, uh, PTSD and, and the sequela from PTSD was lessened. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very interesting thing that ketamine does. Uh, like you said, there, there are some psychological, psychiatric reasons to be using this medication. Um, they are getting into things where formulations of ketamine are used for, um, extreme, you know, for severe depression, um, post-traumatic stress. Um, well, that's why like the, the use of it is beyond our scope, but if you're out in the field and you have a patient who's receiving ketamine therapy, you know, I don't you want to you want to know they're getting it for whatever psychological disorder they have and not that they're recreationally taking ketamine. Right. Is kind of my point. Um, but I, one of the things that I like about the medication is specifically the way that the drug actually works. It also helps to increase sympathetic activity, which is not what a lot of our sedating drugs are, are capable of doing. So when you're in a situation, you have to RSI somebody, you're worried about their blood pressure bottoming out. Ketamine is a good alternative because it's not necessarily going to bottom out their pressure as compared to say something like you know morphine or automidate so you have these you have this drug that you can give it has these this high safety profile these great effects where it can knock someone down and also knocks out their pain but you're not losing those vital signs during those procedures so it also aside from taking all that you know pain and uh distress away from the patient you're maintaining their blood pressure, you're maintaining their, their heart rate might go up a little bit because of the sympathetic activity, but you're actually able to keep their vital signs stable. So you can keep the patient feeling better, and also you as a provider are feeling better, whether you're in the back of an ambulance or in an ER, because then you can have the patient just kind of hanging out, their vital signs stay stable. Yeah, I, I agree for the most part on that. Um, but I think that's part of I think that's part of the legend of ketamine that um, people have kind of trusted too much. Well, remember any drug that we give that's going to 
you know, um, cause analgesia or anesthesia is going to slow down your catecholamine flow. Um, you know, it's a matter of going from a rock concert to a yoga class. Right. Um, that can in itself cause a drop in blood pressure. Now, ketamine is much less likely to see a dramatic drop that you would if you gave, and you know, in the bad old days before RSI, we gave, we, we used to give five or 10 milligrams of Versed, and which is just a ridiculous idea now. But back <laughs> then it was like, okay, well, snow them out and put the tube in. But you found out that their, their blood pressure was 70 afterwards, you know, right. and ketamine you won't see that as much you still do i still think you do see that um and i think that's where we get into some of the problems and some of those you know that dunning kruger effect that we know a little bit about the drug and we think it works for everything Um, right and we're not here to suggest that you should give ketamine for everything it's just the the reason that the vital signs thing i think is is relevant because there was some fear years ago um back when as a, as a practice we were more ignorant to how this medication would work, with that you would give someone ketamine and, you know, their ICP would go up to 400. Which is, oh, yeah. Which is, yeah, which is just... Yeah, not, it's, it's just we're still getting case. that in some places. There's still people who believe that. Yeah, um, and they're, they are incorrect. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, is that all came from one study, or it was a case study. Yeah. Uh, it was one person with a space-occupying lesion, I believe it was a brain tumor, and they recorded a rise in ICP after giving the patient ketamine. So for years... Which, and uh, I, just to, to kind of focus in on that, of course it did. Of course it did. That's, yeah. That, like, yes, that's what <laughs> that's what I mean, but, you know, there was... It was funny how medicine jumped on that and said, well, you can't give ketamine in a head injury. And you will still hear this. Uh, you will still talk to you know physicians there's paramedics out there uh all sorts of clinicians at a lot of levels that still believe this and it's been debunked um the, well, and the, 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 the study was not based on someone who had a head injury in the first place no it's just something that we kind of extrapolated no actually um when the military and the and the, the people like i said the, before the people that have done the most research on this is the, is the united states military with their experience in you know forever wars and stuff like that um that Ketamine not only doesn't do that, um, but it also has these these psychological effects. It also has the ability that they that some of the evidence is now starting to show that it's neuroprotective. We don't know why it works, but it works. You know? Right. Well, and that's that's one of the more interesting things about this drug specifically is there's a lot of things that we don't know about it. There's plenty that we do know, which is nice. Um you know, but it, all the stuff that we don't know, all the potential benefits to this particular medication are out there. There's lots of, you know, we might find out in, you know, whatever, five years that ketamine is good for fill in whatever ailment here. Yeah, maybe it's a broad spectrum antibiotic and we don't know yeah. yet. <laughs> in which case, everybody gets it. It's fixed everything. Ketamine um, for everybody. So let's talk about dosing. So we're you, so you've got a patient um, that's in moderate to severe pain or you have a patient that you need to RSI. Um, and you're choosing to use, you know, or whatever you're choosing to use ketamine for this patient. Let's talk about the levels of dosing. Uh, let's talk about some of the issues and some of the things that you're going to see at each level. So you understand it a little bit better. Uh, we talked a little bit in the beginning about an analgesia dose. Um, this is a really low dose. I mean, uh, for a normal sized adult, I think it's 0.3 milligrams per kg or, well, so it, it depends on what you're actually trying to do. So if you're if you're trying to induce somebody for their pain management to control their airway, you're going to get between, 
you know, one and it's, I think, four milligrams per kilogram that are a slow IV push for, an for anesthesia. So giving that specifically, um, it, it you can give what the, the term that ends up getting used is a heroic dose um, of a drug like ketamine. And the thing is that because it has such a decent safety profile and because there's not a lot of long-term concerns we have for, for giving the medicine, um, and I say not a lot of long-term concerns, we are going to touch on that, but you can give you know, IV, you can give 200 milligrams of this drug, which sounds like a very high amount, perfectly safely. And that being said, you can also give up to 500 milligrams IM generally very safely. And, it, it, you know, it'll have the effects that you want to have on the patient, but it won't necessarily have the loss of airway effects that typically you're worried about. And if you're not comfortable giving high doses of the drug, you can also give low doses of the drug to the tune of 0.5 to 1 milligram per kilogram. And it, giving 1 milligram per kilogram is going to give you the anesthesia induction that you're looking for. Um, you know, and you might have a patient who is generally just, for, for lack of a better term, is just kind of chilled out and doesn't have the pain that they used to have. Um, and whether this is, you know, an extremity fracture or this is a thoracic trauma or if you have a closed head trauma, you can use this medication for all these things and it's not going to change their profile a lot. Um, but you can kind of play around with the dosage a lot. Obviously, if you're going to give the drug intramuscularly, the dose has to increase. Um, and as I said, you can give up to 500 milligrams of ketamine IM, which sounds like an extraordinary amount of the drug. And you can argue whether or not it is. But it tends to have, an, it has a decent effect. It just takes a long time because it's IM. Um, and this is one of the things that we have to talk about when we get into talking about how we use it in the setting of law enforcement. Like so this is a table that was in GEMS, actually, which is kind of cool. Um, you know, if you have a patient in moderate to severe pain and you give them 10 milligrams slow push, uh, you're going to get very good analgesia and you will not get psychotropic effects. So they yep. won't get a little trippy. They're going to get their pain taken away. They're going to feel really comfortable. Once you start getting above that into that, you know, 0.5 to 1 milligram per kg rate, um, you run into this area where you're going to be that that recreational to partial dissociative dose. Um, this is the weird part. This is where it gets kind of strange. And this is where I think sometimes people run into it in the field. Uh, where they'll give a dose of ketamine and they'll get effects that they're not really sure. Um, you know, they'll act a little weird. They'll act trippy. I mean, listen, some patients will think that's awesome. Uh, some will not like it. No. Um, uh, someone that was pretty con someone that I listened to this pretty, uh, uh, you know, in the military was an expert, uh, you know, who gave it quite a lot. Uh, said that when they would give it, they would actually talk to the patient like, I want you to think of the best time you ever had in your life. Yeah. Um, because as they go down is how they come up. Right. And so well, it, there's it, no, it, listen, there's yeah. no evidence to support that. There's no randomized control trials, but it seems to work. Right. Well, and that's, that's the old uh, diving into the K-hole thing that you always hear about, where if you give right. someone ketamine, you know, they're going to go down, they're never going to come out of it, they're going to have an emergence reaction, which is another thing that we can talk about. Um, but generally speaking, you just this is a medication where you're going to have to coach the patient, right? Just like so many other of the medications we give them. You know, when you what do you say to a patient when you give them adenosine? I tell them, um, I'm going to give you something. It's going to make you feel very, very odd. You are going to feel very, very weird. It is a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be right with here with you the entire time we're doing this. Um, and we'll see how this goes. But if, but right. I want you to know you're going to feel like some people feel like the bottom's dropping out of their body. Yeah. Well, and, and th that's why I'm, I'm bringing up that point, because this is another medication where you're going to give it and you're probably going to have to explain to the patient, like, stuff's going to happen. 
think happy thoughts, you know, because you can you can physically see patients who once they've achieved sedation or once they've achieved analgesia, because you'll see changes in fa- specifically their facial tones. Um, sure, you know it. It looks like someone is, you know, going through the progressions of frankly getting high in front of you, because they are, you know, and you'll right. see patients. You know, their eyes might widen because they might have their own, you know, visions and hallucinations like that. And I and I and anecdotally, I had that happen to me. I had a patient that I treated with um, an opioid up front. Um, pretty severe injuries, severe pain, multiple, you know, your typical broken man, you know, the multiple bro- fractures, multiple areas. Right. Um, and, you know, gave them gave them fentanyl up front just to move them and didn't touch, you know, got another, you know, gave another dose of fentanyl, didn't touch, talked to the doc and was, you know, like, hey, let's give some ketamine. So gave the ketamine and all of a sudden, I, I terrified, <laughs> terrified the brand new EMT was in the back because all of a sudden uh, this patient was floridly like howling at the moon, for lack <laughs> of a better term. Um, that was that partial dissociation, which is not a great place to be for a patient. No. Um, so the you know, so what the answer was dissociate them completely. Yeah, knock them give, down. give them more meds, push them into that dissociative realm. And now you can kind of control it. Um, and it were and it worked the other so the other thing that I I just want to kind of get out there because there's always well I say always when this debate first started in medicine I'm going to say seven eight years ago um, which is like when we say that me yeah when we say the data is out it's because the data is out this is ketamine works but because of this stuff that's come out in the news you're going to start hearing things like well what about emergence reactions you know, because yeah, let's talk about an emergence reaction, yeah. because honestly, I've never seen one. And I think in the field as an EMS clinician, we don't No, I don't. We're not uh, with the patient. It's more of an ED or, you know, a observation kind of thing. Right. And again, it's it's something that's pretty simple, but everybody gets very, very tight about yeah. it. So essentially what the emergence reaction is comprised of is you have a patient who, you know, has a, a disassociating drug in them and then the drug wears off. And they come out of what's known as the, the K-hole. So they emerge, and typically the standard definition of, like, the emergence reaction is you'll see people who are kind of just wiling out. You know, they'll get angry. Um, you hear stories about, you know, fights and, you know, thrashing around, throwing hands, things like that. Right. Um, and that, pre-hospitally, it's not something that typically we'll see just because of the half-life of ketamine. But let's say, for the sake of argument, you're working in transport, and you do have a patient who's been medicated with ketamine. How do you treat them if you're transporting them away or if you have a long trip with a patient? Right. And the answer is you can just give them a benzo on, yeah. the, on the back end. and Small dose small dose of uh, midazolam or lorazepam, yeah. Valium, whatever you have. Yeah, and that will settle uh, them down enough to actually sure. to slow the emergency reaction. So this is, and the reason that we're mentioning this is that it's not that, you know, pre-hospital providers will ever actually see an emergency reaction. You're right to say that it probably is seen more in the ER or the ICU. Um but I think that as an industry, we kind of were afraid to give ketamine because there's a chance that the patient might have an emergency reaction. Now, Which is easily fixed. It is. And to, just to be clear, it's not 100% of the patients that get ketamine that will have an emergency reaction sure. in the first place. So, But this is something that was so easily fixed that it, it's frustrating to me that you know for 20 years we ignored this drug because someone might have a reaction to it that we can fix with you know, midazolam. Right. Another one that, another one that gets me is uh, hypersalivation. Oh, and this is something that you'll hear that people get very, very concerned about. And look, I get it to a point, um, but 
I've never really seen hypersalivation to the point where I couldn't control with a dab from a suction catheter. Um, Especially while intubating or something like that. I mean, and once once they're intubating, intubated, does it truly matter? I, I don't really right. think I, so. I think that I think that's another. I think it's a side effect that people need to note. Um, but I don't think it's something that, I, like, that's not a deal breaker to me. No, I I, I never thought you know. it was. And again, this is another thing that's very easily fixed. Um, small dose of atropine. Or uh, yeah. glycopyrrolate if you're in the ED or you're you're a doc, you know mm-hmm. that, that might be something you can use to dry up secretions. But again, you know well, this is something that people get a little nervous about, and I, right. I don't see it as something that I'm nervous about. Maybe no, I'm well, wrong. And one of the nice things about the drug is that it, it maintains the uh, you know the actual tone of the upper airway of the larynx and like that. So the patient, the thing that we're concerned about with intubating is whether or not the patient can control their secretions, right. and you know. I think the argument is I think people see hypersalivation in the presence of ketamine and assume the patient can't control their secretions and they move toward intubating. Whereas it's it's more akin to you salivate more like it's a it's almost right. like a, it's and there's like some a literature to thing, support but, that that there was yeah. a study that talked about this and they said, you know, it basically it came down to signs like that where you know, uh, ED staff was a little bit concerned and decided, well, we're just going to intubate. So, right, yeah, and that, that's another thing where we consider what their uh, the goal therapy for these patients is going to be. And, you know, th- th- we have a bunch of stuff that we're going to link in the show notes, um, but specifically one of these things that came up from uh, one yeah. of... Uh, Guys, there's literally hundreds of so papers much, on There's ketamine. so much of it. This you is, could literally do a fellowship in ketamine. Probably, yeah. Well, yeah, at this point. Um, but uh, Ruben Strayer put out a, a pretty significant article uh this is on em updates and again this will be in the show notes one of the things that they, that they mentioned and there's a lot of takeaways to take from this but what what was biggest to me because the, the way that this came around they compared the united states and australia and the use of ketamine and intubation and what they found was in the united states we intubate more people with ketamine as compared to australia to the tune of australia doesn't intubate patients with ketamine and meaning patients who get ketamine as like an analgesic get or some yeah they yeah. get it okay. so so a lot of not not we're not talking ketamine to facilitate an rsi no just okay they, the patient the the way the study was written was essentially the patient received ketamine and in the united states we're more likely to do what's called a priori intubation which essentially means that we would intubate the patient because they got ketamine we're worried about the airway time. yeah i'll agree with that and i see that i i've seen yeah. that a few times like, like you gave ketamine yeah and he's not tubed no right so yeah <laughs> and so, they look at you you get a very odd look um but again, so the, the concern is, you know, you, you want the patient to maintain the airway tone. And what it comes down to is it seems like a lot of physicians, specifically in the United States, are intubating the patients who got ketamine in the ER almost arbitrarily, where ketamine equals intubation. And it's, they do that to, you know, it, it's easier, frankly, to take care of the patient because you can tube them, keep them on the vent, and then you don't really have to worry about them. You don't have to worry about watching your patient, especially if you're in a busy, say, urban ER. Or you got low staffing, or you're in right. a single, or you're in a place where you're a single provider in a really small ED somewhere, and you know this came in from the field. Uh, the the temptation is there, right? Exactly. So, you know, when you have these people who receive ketamine, the the hospital kind of arbitrarily intubates them. That's that's fine. That's that's their choosing. But there's probably better ways to go about it. Um, so. When we talk about who actually needs to be tubed and who needs ketamine, there's a bunch of different people, uh, types of populations that you can look at. And um, 
Scott Weingart from NCRIT with Ruben Strayer uh, did a really great piece on this. Uh, this was in August of this year. Oh, it's fairly new. Yeah, this was this came out just after some of the events of the summer. Right. So the biggest things that they're looking at, um, you have a patient who's agitated but cooperative. Then you don't really have to worry about them. You don't really need to give them ketamine. You can, or you can give them a low dose or you can give them like another benzo just to kind of calm them down. But if okay, well, a, well, wait a minute. We're getting we're getting into the excited delirium stuff. So can we sure yeah can we, we rewind and just talk about excited delirium? Yes. Um, so let's get let's get it down with what excited delirium actually is and what we don't know it is. All right. So excited delirium is not uh, a patient who's been drinking all day and is mad that you're at his house. Right. That is not excited delirium. Um, excited delirium is also not somebody who doesn't want to go to jail and is resisting the cops and they want you to medicate them, the patient, so they can, you know, put them into custody. Right. So and this is this is coming. Excited from- delirium is actually it's 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 a syndrome. Yes. Um, it's something that's fairly new. Uh, there's really not a lot on it um, because we can't really agree on what it is. Uh, suffice it to say, I think the first time you see somebody who's really in the throes of an excited delirium, uh, you will you'll recognize it. Uh, generally, these people are floridly excited, excited. Delirium is like pornography. I can't describe it, but I know what it is when I see it. It's not the first time this has been used on the overrun. Uh, yep, pretty much. Um, excited delirium uh, can come from a variety of factors. A lot of times, it's a substance abuse thing. Yep. Uh, it's somebody taking medicate, you know, taking things recreationally or some kind of use disorder. Uh, it can be a psychiatric disorder, compounding issues. What you're going to see with these people are they are floridly unable to control themselves they are sometimes they're hyperthermic um they will be un you will be unable to literally control them safely uh to protect them from themselves and protect them from others it's a lot different from i'm a cranky drunk or i'm somebody on i'm somebody who's on a coke binge that's a different we're, we're looking that's a different thing and right those and and frankly if someone if you have a patient who has just take has been skiing all day and <laughs> skiing <laughs> and just just has all the little, cocaine in them little you, bit of little bit too much of the bolivian marching powder yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know those patients can probably get benzodiazepines and they're usually fairly well sedated and so, and that's a really good way to do it um yeah. you know a, a quick uh intranasal versed um some uh, you know some iv ativan right. um that's somebody that's that. You well, know, and also in that setting, you have to consider the actual drug use because if you have someone who's been using cocaine intranasally for a very long time, they may have obliterated part of their nasal anatomy. Sure. Um, in, in that case, intramuscular injections just yeah. as fine. You know, large lateral thigh, deltoid muscle. You know, these things where it works pretty well. And you know, again, your idea is not to get them under control because they are pretty much kind of under control. You just want them to rest. You want them to calm down. You want them to rest. You want to be able to facilitate other things that you have to do for them. Um, And that's what, that's what, um, you know, Dr. Stroh and Dr. Weingart talk about in this. Um, That's not excited delirium. And right. sometimes I think we we mistake it in the field, and this leads to problems. Right. Well, it's, and one of the things that it's important to understand is that excited delirium is a pre-hospital emergency. Um, there's a really good paper up here from Takushi et al. This is out of Western J uh, Emergency Medicine. So it just, it's describing you know agitation, aggression, acute distress, and sudden death, which typically occurs in the pre-hospital setting. There's various different ways that this can happen. Usually, 
you know, the standard patient is you have someone who's in their, let's say, mid-20s, early 30s. Um, they may have an underlying uh, hypertrophic myopathy that we don't know about. So there's already a problem with the patient being a hokum patient in the first place. Um, and usually because of whatever drug use they have, or frankly, it could be an organic brain syndrome as well, you have a patient who is hypersympathetic, but they're hyper, 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 hypersympathetic. Right. So everything is kind of on overdrive. So, you know, you're going to have tachycardia, hypertension, all that other kind of stuff. And if they have comorbidities that they're unaware of, it can lead them to infarct, it can lead them to stroke, and it can also lead to cardiac arrest. So sure. what's fun is that excited delirium has been around. You since run an engine too long at red line. Yeah, exactly. You're going to blow gonna that out. You're going to blow that motor up. Right. So the actual illness of excited delirium was first described in the 1800s, but it's been called Bell's mania, lethal catatonia. So it's actually, it's existed for a very long time. Um, there's some fairly interesting descriptions from the late 19th century about people with excited delirium. Ghosts in um, the blood. Yeah, you got, you got ghosts in your blood. You should do cocaine about it. <laughs> I love that. Medicine, medicine in the late 19th century was wild. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... So, yeah, so this has been around for a while. We don't really, and it's it's an illness that we don't really know a lot about, aside from that the patient is hypersympathetic. And as such, we don't really know a lot about how to treat it because, you know, most of the patients that we get to have expired at that point. Sure. Um, but again, it's important to know that this is a pre-hospital emergency. So all the people that, you know, we're talking to that, you know, work in the pre-hospital environment, it's important to know that this is kind of our forte. Like this, this is something that you're going to read about in the literature and it's usually processed by people in hospitals, despite the fact that it's something that's experienced pre-hospitally. Right. And this is, you know, this, these are one of those patients where you'll knock them down and you'll go into the ER and the patient is, you know, now they're compliant or they're intubated or whatever and you'll have to tell the receiving staff, like, no, I swear to God, 20 minutes ago, you should have seen them. They were crazy. They were wiling out. Yeah, they know? were eating the back of the ambulance. Right, exactly. So understand that if you're going to be taking a patient into the hospital who had excited delirium. So with these patients, because of the amount of agitation they actually have, we have to actually try and sedate them to an extent so that we can safely manage them. It's sure. not, it's, it, this is truly one of those things where I'm medicating the patient because of me and not because of them. We, have, yeah, we have, yeah, I would say, yeah, agree. Yeah. I would say both. It's, it's, yeah. I, I will get hurt trying to help this person and they are going to hurt themselves really badly. Right. There is a high risk that this person could die from this. So I have to, like, as Ruben Strayer says in that article, which is brilliant, um, and we'll link to it and everybody should read it who gives ketamine. Yeah. Um, it's that dangerous and disruptive. Right, so there's 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 four or three categories that is mentioned in this in this article, and we talked about agitated but cooperative, which is easy. That's a yeah, that's fine. That's generally um, partners on a regular day. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's twelve oh five in the afternoon when I haven't had. You know, it's yet. funny. It's funny. Kevin was that. He was agitated but cooperative the other day. But <laughs> I digress. Um, the second category we have is disruptive without danger. So these are the patients who. Are a little bit agitated, but they don't actually pose a danger. Right. This is to your pain the in the, this is your and, pain in the ass patient, yeah. the one um, who's just being difficult, but is not a danger. And if you can control them, you, there's a lot of other ways you control them. You know, Jedi right. mind trick. You know, whatever. Yeah, and it, if the need to if the need to medicate comes around, these are the ones that will get like Haldol, Midazolam, um, Droperidol, Ativan, Ativan. Yeah, uh, Droperidol's back. Yeah, which uh, we whatever can, we can we probably can do a whole that. other thing on that too. But if you're in the ER, uh, droperidol might be given as well. And then there's a third category of, of disruptive and dangerous, and those are the ones where you have you know 
someone who is disruptive and dangerous to themselves, someone who's dangerous to the staff. And yeah. again, these are, for lack of a better term, these are the people that I, I describe them as wiling out because they're just, they're angry at everything. It's a lot of swinging. It's, it's a, it's a one man Donnybrook and you know, anyone that's in my mind, totally what's happening <laughs> in my mind, what's happening with these patients is I always imagine it like a line fight, a line brawl sure. in a hockey, a hockey game. I almost call it a hockey match, despite right. the fact that I know hockey. Very well. Yep. Well, you, not even a bench clear, just just a line brawl. So you have all you know, ten people just kind of in one clutch. Except this is all happening in one person. Right. Right. So it's a line brawl with one person. These are the ones that are disruptive, disruptive and dangerous. They're the ones who have to get ketamine to be knocked down. So we need rapid. This is a patient who needs rapid control to protect them and to protect others. Yeah. And the important thing to note too is after you get after you give this patient ketamine. You know, they you do need to carefully monitor everything, and we're talking about in in this particular context, we're talking about ketamine, what's called monotherapy, where we're only giving ketamine to the right. patient. This isn't we're not talking about you know closed head traumas where you have to RSI the patient. Where I just as a quick aside, I tend to think that ketamine is a very good RSI drug. Um, oh, I agree. I, I have no problem using it. I actually prefer it. Um, and this is just that's just my <laughs> my opinion. That's just my practice. Um, and, you know, that's there's debates that can go along with that. Um, again, the, going back to the intubation study between the United States and Australia, it was just the practice of the physicians to intubate someone who got ketamine. So, you know, your own practice might differ, but that's pretty much uh, kind of what we're talking about with that. But um, you're just giving ketamine to kind of calm the patient down. And if they're in pain, you want to be able to knock out their pain as well. So that's pretty much the whole goal. So now that we've kind of established what ketamine is for, what it does, and who actually gets ketamine, let's talk about Minneapolis and Colorado. Yeah, let's, because this is this is going to be a major problem. And yep. I, I'm just going to say this right now as a paramedic to other paramedics. This, this kind of stuff is the reason why people take stuff away from us, why people don't believe that we can regulate ourselves why we can't handle our own practice and so let's let's, let's if back you're up a, a let's back up a minute and let's actually clarify what happened so yeah go ahead so essentially what happened in in these cases and there's a lot of them we're just using two specific cases um and they were recently in the news and, and they're recently in the news specifically a, a a colleague of mine uh who now works as a police officer um had a, a we had a fairly long conversation about it um the way that the articles are written almost makes it sound like the police are carrying and giving ketamine right which is certainly not the case no um and it would seem based on the articles that the amount of ketamine these patients got was that heroic dose that i was talking about earlier where they got something to the tune of 500 milligrams yeah which, it's generally which, that four to five milligrams per kilogram yeah. for excited delirium which and is, it's given i am lateral right. thigh so large in, muscle group intrinsically so control I, I don't have an issue necessarily just with the dose but I do think what ended up happening was these patients got this high dose and they probably weren't monitored as well as they should be. And then the patients expired, um, which is which is tragic. And it also contributes to this ongoing, uh, you know, death in the custody of the police debate that we're having in this country. Um, but specifically, it was they the police department called for EMS to essentially chemically restrain this person. Right. These people. Um the EMS did chemically restrain them. The patients right. expired in the ER. So that's kind of the backstory behind it. Um, but now we're, we want to. And there's a couple get, similar incidents yeah. and they all follow. And there was a series of them in uh, Hennepin County in Minnesota where the paramedics were being called to the scene specifically just, just so for that purpose. Before, just so we're clear before we get into into that. 
Hennepin County is an extraordinary system. Oh yeah. So Great these system. aren't these aren't like scrub medics walking in just kind of arbitrarily, you know, giving medicine. Hennepin County medics are generally very well trained. I think it was and that's what surprised me about it. And, you know, we have to look into the factors that, you know, I, I'm really interested in the factors that led to those decisions. Um, I don't think that they were made with bad intent. I do think, however, it wasn't the right thing to do. I think that the dosing could have been changed. Um, I think that the 500 milligrams was probably arbitrarily chosen to be given IM. Yeah. Um, because, it, I mean, frankly, it's easy. 500 milligrams tends to be one vial. Yeah. So you can just kind of quick drop everything, boom, without doing much calculation. So, but it gets back to kind of basic medicine, right? You but on the other hand, if you can't do a quick drug calculation, should you be a paramedic? Well, right. But it, and it, but it comes down to like when you're in EMT school, you're taught the you know six R's of medication administration. Right. You know, you're taught it has to be the right dose. And in someone who and there's also some debate whether these patients who received ketamine were actually experiencing excited delirium or if they were just agitated, uh, intoxicated people, which, again, there's an important difference between between the two of them, generally speaking. And when you're approaching these patients who you think might have excited delirium, it is important, it's imperative as a provider that you try and talk them down first, right? One of the most important weapons or medications however you want to call it that you have at your disposal is the ability to talk to a patient and try and get them from a which is where they are which is untreatable to b which is now treatable and generally calm and there's plenty of different ways that you can do it um you know we're we're monday morning quarterbacking these two calls so uh, you know we don't want to get like too crazy into it but I do think that there's a possibility that they were called in essentially to give chemical handcuffs to a patient. They gave 500 milligrams kind of arbitrarily per protocol, and then the patient happened to expire afterward. Now, there's variables that we'll never be able to know in that, but we did want to bring it up because it's important to mention that you have to watch these patients at least to an extent. Yeah. So so let me go over a few of the the clinical pearls here before we come up on the hard out here. First... First and foremost, any medi- realize that any medication you're going to give can have an effect that can be potentiated by other things. Right. If you're going to a scene where you have somebody who's agitated and you're trying to get control of them and the Jedi mind trick's not working mm-hmm. or whatever things are working, and you have to do something for sedation to facilitate the care of the patient, which is not an unreasonable idea, Realize that those things that are on board that we don't know about may potentially have an effect that we can't see. So we have to prepare for that. So what happens? So when we give a med or when when I do this or I give somebody, you know, you know, people like this where we give them medications for this for this purpose, you got to you got to play chess a little. Think ahead. Where's your airway stuff? Are you monitoring them? Do you have capnography available? Do you have pulse oximetry on this patient? You should. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Are you watching their airway? Don't believe everything you hear. And this is where that Dunning-Kruger effect comes in. People think, well, if I give them ketamine, they're going to always have an airway and I don't have to worry about it. That's wrong. It's right. it's wrong. It's wrong, wrong, wrong. Well, and wrong. especially if you're worried about a, you know, a polypharmacy type of situation where, as you said, you don't know what else this patient has in their system. So, and that's one of the issues with a lot of the pre-hospital research on ketamine is we don't have essentially a standard placebo control for our patients because you can't. No. It's not possible. So, you know, 
we can say, well, you know, if like if let's say there's a study that's put out that says ketamine kills 50% of the patients that it's given to. Like, all right, but they also had heroin on board. Right? Like, that's a confounding factor. So it, right. it's difficult to really know. Um, so the jury's going to be out for a long time on this. Right. So everything we talk about with with this drug, and frankly with most drugs, it has got to be, you know, for the greater good, and we have to talk about the bigger picture. So writ large, ketamine is a safe drug. Writ large, ketamine will allow the patient to maintain their own airway. Writ large, it's not going to increase their intracranial pressure to a point where it actually causes damage. However, and, and the, but that being said, there will always be outliers. There are caveats. So yeah. So whenever and and this is a conversation that that Danny and I have had, you know, off air with colleagues and friends and whatever else. You're always going to have someone who will be able to say, well, one time X, right? right? So. You'll always have someone say, well, one time I gave ketamine and my patient immediately went into cardiac arrest. And OK, that's that's a scary situation that as a provider you have to prepare for. You know, it's probably a downstream effect you weren't thinking about. Fine. That happens. But that does not mean that every patient that receives this medication will go into cardiac arrest. In fact, mo- the reality exists that most patients who get it turn out perfectly fine. Right. Just the point is, listen, if you're if you're a new medic or you're student, you're listening to this show and you know, or you're an EMT and, you know, you, you, you have a patient in this situation that's been given ketamine or any kind of sedative medication, they should be on the monitor. Yep. They should have, be on pulse oximetry. If you have nasal capnography and everybody, every service should at should this point, it. you should be watching that. Right. If something bad happens, think about it from the perspective of if something bad happens, what did you do to make sure that didn't happen? Right. Well, the other thing, and this is nothing new. We're not, you should, the things that you should be doing with someone who receives a drug like ketamine are the things you should be doing for almost every patient you have. Like, it shouldn't change just because you gave ketamine. You should have a patient on the monitor. Agreed. You should have them on a pulse ox. You know, the nasal cap, not the nasal capnogram, you don't need on every patient, but why the hell not? You know, you, there, there's stuff that, and I know I'm going to get brushed back. Like, no, not everyone needs me on a nasal capnography, but, you know, <laughs> But, you know, you should have you should be doing this for everybody. I think if any I think if you're given anybody a medication that can alter their consciousness. Yeah. They should be on it. Which especially when we're arguing most medication should be should be a capnography. I mean, I'm not saying, oh, I gave him aspirin and nitro. Better put him on. (laughs) No. Uh, Oh, boy. I gave him a toprolol. You know, but if you're giving something that has the ability to cause an effect or a sedative effect or something like that. This is a really simple, very easy way to make sure your patient stays safe. Yeah. Um, and you got to remember things. There's a lot of th- like you just said, there's a lot of things we carry in our trucks that have a sedative effect. Benadryl. Yeah. You ever give anybody IV Benadryl? Yeah. But I, yeah. Knock right out. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. So those are the things and these are the caveats. You know, law enforcement is law enforcement. EMS is EMS. Right. Um, and from working both sides of the street, yeah, there's a little overlap, but we shouldn't overlap that much. Right. Um, if you're using this, make sure you're using a clinic for a clinically sound reason, uh, not just because the cops want you to. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to discuss this with your medical control physician. If you're a protocol driven place, this is a place where you want to call. Well, call and, and medic, that's and, but that's kind of the point, right? It's like nothing get on board with this. Yeah. Like nothing really changes. This is you should provide patient care the same way you're always going to provide patient care. Like this is it's not that, you know, oh, we're giving ketamine. So things have changed. You know, it's just. Listen, you and I, you and I both know that we can talk about that till we're blue in the face and we will still see people who do the same things. Absolutely. So So. before we cut out, 
last thing, uh, given everything that you've read, is this going to change your practice giving ketamine? No, um, because I was doing this stuff for a while. I, I, I'm still doing the same things. Um, I've given ketamine for excited delirium, agitated patients, knockwood. I haven't had an untoward effect, um, but that was on my determination, not because the cops wanted me to do it. Yeah, same over here. I don't plan on stop giving ketamine. Um, I think it's a very good pre-hospital drug. I think it, it achieves a lot of the goals of patient care that we're looking for. Um, I, I, too, have, have had to use it for excited delirium. Um, but then again, I've also used it for you know other issues just to calm the patient down and give them a little analgesia. So, burns. Um, I've used it on burns. I've, well, I haven't had a burn patient in a while. And that's, that's, so Musculoskeletal really, trauma. Yeah. So and yeah. So things like that. You know, and if you're in a, with an extremity fracture, you yeah. can use it. Too. And if you're in a place where your 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 docs are a little leery of it, or your medical director is not a you know not not on board yet, do yourself a favor. Do the research. Bring them the papers. Talk about this stuff. Go engage other physicians. You know, medical directors. Reach out to them. They'll be glad to help you prove your case. It's a good drug. It's a safe drug, but we have to respect it. And if you do have questions about it, you can always find us at overrunproductions at gmail.com as well as overrunproductions on Facebook and Instagram and overrun EMS on Twitter. Let us know what you guys think. How much ketamine are you giving? How often are you giving it? And if you have uh, questions and want proof to bring back to your medical director, hit us up. Let us know. And we yeah, will reach out to us. On, back reach to out you. to us on the website, overrunproductions.com. Uh, go buy some merch, uh, buy some buy face coverings, uh, pet yeah. hoodies, whatever we have. You can rock. You can walk walk around in a in an overrun face covering and t-shirt telling everyone to do better uh, because a lot of people don't know how to wear face masks. We we could honestly use the money. should do better. We we could use the money, folks. Thanks. So, for the overrun, I'm Ed Bowder. I'm Dan Schwester. We'll talk to you next time.